Well, I, I spent almost all of my time before you last week to establish the first point. We bled into the second, got into the second just a little bit, but really spent most of the time in the first point of a four-point sermon that we're going to finish today. Now, I'm not going to give you like three sermons worth in, in one, you know. No, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be within our time. But uh, in, the, in the long run, I'm, just tr- I'm trying to help us all to pray more, and in this series of sermons, it, it's been intended to show that no matter what kind of mood you're in, uh, you are in a, uh, it's a biblical, it's a proper mood for prayer. It's, prayer isn't just for when you're feeling, you know, all religious and all devotional, and, and it's not just for when you need something, want some favors. It's for when you're happy, you're feeling blessed, it's for when you're... When you're troubled, when you're worried, when you're weighed down, it's, it's for when you're mad even. Uh, D- D- David's going to talk about that next week. It's when you're, and it's when you're, this is what I've been talking about, it's when you're ashamed. It's when, when you're ashamed. It, it seems to me that when people are ashamed, the natural impulse is to, is to avoid God, uh, at least for a while, you know, like Adam and Eve hiding from the presence of the Lord in the, in the garden. It's just, it's just uh, natural. But King David, Psalm 51, he shows us that the, that's the opposite can be the case. The opposite should be the case. Even when we're ashamed before him to, to run to him. David doesn't hide. He, he runs. Now it's after he's been confronted. It's when he's been convicted. It's not a, immediately after the sin because he's not... He's not aware. He's kind of in a spiritual darkness. And Nathan, the prophet, wakes him up, wakes him up to his guilt before God. And he, his impulse is to run to him. You know, Psalm 51, as you know, and as we have went through kind of more extensively last week, it's a psalm for the, written by David, meant for public worship to the choir master. It's meant to be used for public worship. And it's after, it says so right there, it's after, he wrote this, after he had been outed for the sin, his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and, and his sin of orchestrating the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to cover up the adultery. Uh, and I spent almost all of last week's sermon focusing on the first point. I'm going to say it again. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with it, but just, just to reemphasize it. Uh, the this the first point how what do you, how do you come to the Lord how do you do it when you're ashamed when what way he, and I said first of all let yourself feel the weight of your own sin and not just to let it be there uh, to feel it and I spent so much time on it uh, because it's a very hard thing for us to do it's just very hard for us to do that part that's why I spent so much time on it. And I'll just mention it here again today. We're, seeing, we're just hardwired. It seems, you know, we're just hardwired to deny the seriousness of our sin. It's not as bad as other things we might have done, but we didn't do. It's, it's easy for us. We constantly put ourselves in the best light possible. Constant. It's just human nature. It's fallen human nature. We justify ourselves. We explain it away. We say, make it seem light and reasonable. It's not like the real bad sins we might have committed. It's not as if I and fill in the blank. We blame others. We posture our sin as psychological uh, weakness or, or uh, physical illness. 
We even say, and this is a new one, we, it seems to me like we've kind of made up in our generation, we even say sometimes that wasn't the real me. <laughs> it was some false me. And on and on and on and on. And our friends, at least our friends, are right there to help us minimize it. They're, they don't want us to feel bad. They say, don't feel bad. Everybody makes mistakes. And we also have this language, you know, we, that kind of takes the moral sting out of it. We made a mistake. I made a mistake. I made a bad decision, which kind of takes the moral sting out of it. You know, so don't think of it as a moral evil that you committed. You just, you just made a mistake. You made a bad decision. Uh, this week, uh, mayor of a big city, you may have read this. She uh, issued a statement about an extramarital affair that she had had with the head of her security detail. And it was really a pretty much a, a straightforward admission of moral guilt. But toward the end, she, she couldn't resist just a little bit of, of uh, you know, self-justification, or and if not justification, at least a little bit of mitigating circumstance that people should remember. She said, please know, at the end of it, she said, please know that I am disappointed in myself, but also understand that I'm human and I made a mistake. David doesn't do any of that. He feels the weight of it, and he doesn't deny it. He wouldn't offer excuses for it. He uses different words for sin that kind of expresses the fullness of it and all its spectacular and glorious uh, splendor. He speaks about it as moral failure, moral collapse. It's a rebellion against the words he uses. You know, one of them means rebellion against God or emphasizes that it's rebellion against God. It's against God himself. It's, it's corrupt and twisted and warped in the nature of the thing. So it's only going to produce a corrupt and twisted and warped result. He doesn't say... I made a mistake, okay? He, he doesn't, he certainly doesn't say, that wasn't me. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's like, I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> it's weighing on me. He says in, in another place, Lord, whatever you say, whatever you decree is the consequence of this sin, I, I have nothing to say about it. I, I can't, it's justified. Whatever it is, it's justified. He says, I realize this wasn't a one-off. This wasn't like a temporary lapse of judgment. This wasn't out of character for me. I realize that this, is, this happened because this is what I am to the core. I'm a lustful man. I'm a adulterer, a heartless deceiver, murderer. That's what I am. But that was the first part. You know, he, he let yourself feel the weight of your own sin. Thank the Lord there's more <laughs> than that. Uh, there's more to this psalm than feeling the weight of our sin and shame. There, there's, I want to make three more, well, much more pleasant points. <laughs> three much more pleasant things we, we see in this, in this psalm. But I want, to, I want us to just look at the whole thing. I'll read it. You can just read along with me. Use your own Bible. You'll, it'll, you'll get more out of this if you have your own Bible open to uh, Psalm 51. But I'm going to read it all together, and you'll see it on the screen as well. Have, have mercy 
Well, okay, when Nathan the prophet went to him after that's the after he'd gone into Bathsheba, that's the heading. That's the heading. It is part of the inspired text, though. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom with the secret heart, with, in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, God, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Well, here's point number two. And I read the whole psalm because they're kind of, all of these points are kind of sprinkled throughout the psalm. But here's the second one on how to approach God in prayer when you're ashamed before him. Ask the Lord, which David does here, ask the Lord for forgiveness, for cleansing, and restoration. Now those are different things, and they're all in here. Those are different things. Forgiveness, cleansing, and restoration. Um, over the years, I've had occasion to help people stay married to each other when there has been uh, unfaithfulness on the part of one of the, one of the people in the marriage. Uh, I, I've helped a few, just over the years, I've helped a few, uh, you know, Uriah's and Bathsheba's put it back together when Uriah didn't get killed. <laughs> I've helped a few put it back together. And sometimes the offending partner, having sought and received forgiveness from the wrong spouse gets frustrated that restoration is slower in coming than forgiveness was and and harder to come by and and it's been and sometimes I've had to explain those are different things those are different things forgiveness is not holding a grudge you know, promising not to hold a grudge, 
not harboring bitterness, not desiring payback, not wanting to exact revenge, not wanting to inflict harm or punishment. That's forgiveness. Cleansing is healing the moral brokenness on the part of the offending person. (laughs) And restoration is making it how it used to be. (laughs) Is being like it used to be. And they're, they're very different things. And David asked God for all of them. The first verse, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. That's seeking forgiveness. God, Lord, please take this off my record. I don't want to face you as righteous judge with this unaddressed, unconfessed sin against me. Uh, Verse 9, hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. I think that's forgiveness. Don't look at me, Lord, and see my sins. Um, Put them behind you. Declare them set aside. Remove them from me as far as east is from west. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. That's forgiveness. Declare me, in a New Testament sense, we'd kind of say, declare me not guilty, even though I'm guilty. (laughs) Declare me not guilty. But then there's also cleansing. And I know there's overlap. There's overlap with forgiveness. There's overlap in meaning here. But I think the cleansing aspect, it goes further. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from from my iniquity. Cleanse me from sin. That's not just cleansing the record. That's not just expunging the the record. That's cleansing the sinner. (laughs) Behold, verse 6, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, verse 7, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Which it seems like it's saying, Lord, do your work in the secret heart. You do your work in the heart to make me right. Uh, you take This is what the Lord does. He takes that which is ruined and ugly and and marred and just you can't it's ruined and makes it into something holy and right and beautiful and good that's what he does he's saying do that in me cleanse me with his hyssop uh was a kind of twiggy branch at the priest and they'd sprinkle it was great for sprinkling you know that a lot of drops on it put it in the blood and then they could sprinkle with with hyssop it's just a twiggy kind of a of a branch or a bush. David David is saying, Lord, I need you to make me clean. I, I think this is what he has in mind when he says in verse 11, he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. What, what's behind that? I think he means, Lord, your spirit in me is the only chance I've got. <laughs> your spirit in me is the only way that I'm ever going to be you know, have wisdom in the secret heart, I have wisdom inside, that I'm ever going to be holy. It's only going to be because of your Spirit. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, I, I have to say that you as a believer, uh, you know, in the New Testament era, 
you know, since the cross, you, in that detail, you need never pray exactly like David in, in this instant. In other words, you don't, don't ever have to pray, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. If you're in Christ, God has already promised you that the Holy Spirit is his seal on you till the day of redemption. There is, you know, he's promised that no one or nothing will ever cause you to forfeit the indwelling Holy Spirit, cause the Holy Spirit to leave you. But you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You, you, can, you can become seared in conscience so that you, you're kind of uh, insensitive to, uh, to the Holy Spirit's conviction, to his leading, to his guiding, to his teaching. So I don't think we as Christians can, we, you know, it would be appropriate if we know the promises of God regarding the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But we can pray exactly like David in his words and say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Because this sanctifying process, you know, becoming more like Christ, less under the control of sin, uh, more free from sin, more like Christ, it's a lifelong process. Create in me a clean heart is not something that just happened one day, and ever since then you've had a clean heart and a right spirit. Renew a right spirit within me. Uh, there's not a day when we cannot long and ask for the soul-cleansing ministry of the Spirit of God that God granted to us when we came to Christ through faith. Then there's, so there's forgiveness, but then there's cleansing. David asked for it. And then there's restoration. Make it like it used to be, Lord. He says, verse 8, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know, David's relationship with the Lord, as reflected in this psalm, Psalm 51, is very, very real, isn't it? It's very, very real. But it isn't terribly joyful at the moment. It's painful. It's mournful. And, and coming to the Lord with your sin and shame, is, is it's never a, a joyful experience. It's never pleasant. You know, there are, there are people who think that salvation itself is lost when we fall into sin. That you're not saved anymore. Uh, then they think they get... You know, everybody who thinks they can lose their salvation, they get it back. You think they can gain it, and then sometime later they might lose it again, and then they get it back again, then they lose it again, then they get it back again, and on and on and on and on it goes. I don't know how they can live under that kind of pressure, really. Uh, secondly, I don't know why they can't see why uh, that if any sin could separate us from God, any sin would. I don't understand how they don't see that. It's, and it seems like a, that kind of thinking, you know, that, well, I'm, I'm saved and, and then I get lost and I'm unsaved and I'm saved again and I fall away again. I have to get saved again. It, it seems kind of a slippery slope to some sort of unbiblical 
set of distinctions between some sins and other sins. You know, you got the sins that that uh, are okay, you're fine, you're fine, that you can slide on those, uh, but some are so bad that you 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 uh, lose your salvation. Like you'd end up some sort of distinction, like mortal and venal or something like that. Uh, trifles that can don't do much and some that really get you de-saved. But the Bible affirms, rather, the Bible affirms that you, if you've broken God's law at one point, all you've done is establish yourself as a lawbreaker. You're a lawbreaker. It's all. It's not like all the law. It's like you put all the lawbreakers over here, and all I'm doing that somehow you guys end up always being the good ones. I need to switch that up sometimes. It's like you put all the lawbreakers over here, and all the non-lawbreakers over here, and the Bible says there's no one over here. They're all over here. <laughs> That's what it really teaches. We need God's covering grace every day, every moment, not just when we do something extra bad. We don't lose our salvation, but we can certainly lose the joy of our salvation, the joy in our relationship with God when He, when we, uh, when our sin has broken that fellowship we can't do anything to lose a salvation we did nothing to gain but we can lose that joy of it uh, and so he says Lord let it be like it was before restore to me the joy of my salvation in you but but he asked for all of it he asked how do you come to God when you you know this shame you, you let yourself feel the weight of it. You don't lighten it. You, but you also ask God for forgiveness. And you ask him for cleansing. Change me. I don't want to be like this. And you ask him for restoration. Lord, I hate coming to you like this. I want it like it was, like it has been. Uh, full of joy and intimacy. And, and really, and the basis for your asking is the very nature of God. Uh, the first verse, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He says near the end, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He's going to hear you, those prayers. He's going to answer those prayers because he is merciful, because he is, is full of steadfast love, because of his grace. He doesn't forgive and cleanse and restore because what you did wasn't as bad as something else you might have done but didn't. He doesn't do that because it wasn't the real you after all. He doesn't forgive and restore and cleanse because someone else made you do that or because it was only a temporary lapse in judgment. No, it's because of his mercy, his steadfast love, and that's how we know God will do that. If you ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive. If you ask for cleansing, he'll cleanse. If you ask for restoration of the joy of your salvation, you'll get it. Because of his goodness, his grace. Third thing. And this is going to seem... Uh, well, you, that you may have not have heard much of it. 
But, uh, but I think it's here, so we have to say it. How do you come to God when this, you know, in this kind of time of sin and shame? Ask, uh, no, no, offer vows to God and keep them. You see, do you see it in there? Do you see it, the offering vows? I see it in 13 through 15. Look at it. Then I will, then. What's a then? If, Lord, if you forgive, if you restore, if you cleanse, then, this verse 13, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And so what? And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Lord, if you do this for me, I won't be quiet about it. I'm telling you right now, if you do this for me, I will tell others about it. I will teach others that you're a forgiving God. You're gracious. You're merciful. You're abounding in loving kindness. If you... Answer my prayer, Lord. I will teach transgressors your ways. I'm tempted to draw in the, our need for teachers at this point. <laughs> but that's what he says. If you do this, Lord, I'll tell about it. You know, you know how people fall into certain verbal patterns in prayers. You know, everybody does it, I think. And one of the things I sometimes say in prayer is, Lord, answer our prayers. We'll return praise to you. You know, we won't forget that this came from you. We won't just go on to the next problem. You know, forget that one. The Lord did something about it. We're going to remember it. It's a vow. It's a vow. It means I'm going to recognize that it was your doing and I'll thank you for it. And if it's a vow, if you make a vow to God, it's to be taken seriously. You know, the failure to give thanks afterwards made worse by a vow to do so. And I, and I won't. I don't have the verses here for you, but you, it's not hard to find biblical verses. If you make a vow to God, do it. Well, I do have some. I do have some. It's voluntary, but it's but it's true, and it's it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. When you, Ecclesiastes five. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. Psalm 50, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Psalm 66, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. You remember Hannah praying in the temple? Remember Hannah? Says she vowed a vow and said this is 1 Samuel 1. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember me and not forget your servant, and give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. Nazarite vow. Genesis 28, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come up to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give a full tent to you. That's a vow. They say, well, all those are Old Testament. You know, in our Greenfield assisted living uh, or our senior living Bible study, we're going through the book of Acts. A couple weeks ago, we came across this one. Acts 18, 18. 
After this, Paul stayed many days longer, then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Well, what's that about? Well, it's the mention of the cutting of hair is it's probably a vow he made that's like the Nazarite vow. Uh, numbers are Deuteronomy, I think, about not cutting the hair and you know, you're keeping oneself uh, pure and abstaining from strong drink. Think Samson, you know. He was really good at the not cutting the hair part. <laughs> so Paul took a vow like this. And, and what's happening there? Well, we don't know. It, it, it's, it's something personal. You know, he's probably completing a vow and he's cutting his hair. And he hadn't cut it for a certain period of time. And it, but it's something between him and the Lord, right? Maybe he was asking, like David here says, if you'll do this for me, this is what I'll do. And he's keeping a, a vow. Or maybe it's something that God has already done. It's just a thing, you know, as an expression of thanksgiving. But it's something between, we don't know, it's something between the Lord and Paul, right? It's part of his private walk. We don't know anything about it. But it's part of New Testament era, right? And it's a part of his living out this Christian life. I, I, I think this is probably one of the parts, you know, one of the parts of Christian life that we, that it's kind of largely ignored by modern Christians, kind of like, uh, oh, you know, like fasting or like uh, confessing our sins one to another. You know, it's one of those things that, well, we just don't do and that's not really, we don't think about that, talk about that much. And I, I wonder why that is. I wonder if we're soft on that. We don't, you know, we don't hear of people making vows or don't, you know. And it is to be a personal personal thing, not something we bandy about or, you know, and get others to go along with us or anything like that. But I wonder if it doesn't happen much because the way Jesus criticized the Pharisees for, manipulating the vow of Corbin, you know, like you know, he criticized the Pharisees how they used vows, uh, the vow of Corbin. And it's like, Mom, I'd love to help you out, but the money that I might have helped you out with, I've devoted it to God. I vowed to give it to God already. So, gee, sorry. <laughs> and he, he criticized, or, or I wonder, you know, I wonder if we kind of over-apply what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount when he says this. Listen to this. He says, again, you have heard it said to those of old, it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. But Jesus is not criticizing their making vows to God. He's not. He's, he's criticizing their practice of swearing by things or objects or people to guarantee the truth of what you're saying. I swear on the souls of my grandchildren that what I'm telling you is the truth. That sort of thing. Uh, and then on top of that, the Pharisees made up all these oath oathing rules that gave different things different weights you know like if you swear by the altar well 
that's kind of like a soft verbal commitment in football recruiting. You know, you could decommit just as easily. It's like, it's just, nah, that's not so bad. But if you swear by the gold on the altar, boy, that's binding. You can't go back on that. So they had all these rules about swearing by Jerusalem or swearing by, you know, they had different weights. They had wiggle room. You know, I, I looked up when I was teaching about that vow of Corbin, you know, Mom, I would love to help you, but the money I might have helped you with has been devoted to God. You know, they had wiggle rules on that, too. If circumstance changed later, you didn't have to give it. And so Jesus, Jesus is saying to them, he says Matthew 23, too. Well, I'll not go to the, to the reference. That should not be among my followers. That's nonsense. Let your yes mean yes, your no be no. You know, I swear by this, I swear by that, I swear this other thing. People shouldn't have to figure out, now what level vow is that again? Is that an A, B, C, or D? <laughs> is that one he might? No, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Uh, that's, that's, that's nonsense. But it has nothing to do with making vows to the Lord and keeping them. Lord, if you forgive me, if you cleanse me, if you restore to me the joy of my salvation, I'll thank you publicly. I'll ask pastor if I can get up in church and say what the Lord has done for me. I'll, I'll teach others. I'll start giving, like Jacob. I'll start giving. Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I'll, I'll, I'll start giving. Of everything I get, some portion of it will be given away because can, I can trust you. So, so these vows are just, they're a part of living. And by the way, voluntary, voluntary. The Bible does say if you're going to make a vow to God and don't keep it, don't, don't give it to begin with, don't do it to begin with. <laughs> so it's a serious thing. But... It's, it's a part of what it is to live as, as God's, as, as Christ's disciple, as a follower of Christ. You, it, you make vows to the Lord and keep them. Lastly, just a few minutes left. When coming before the Lord in a state of shame for your sin, having asked for forgiveness, cleansing, restoration... I struggled at this point, but here's what it is. Move on. <laughs> move on. Uh, move on to the bigger issues of what God is doing in the world, how you might be a part of that. Uh, turn away from the inward focus. because Turn away from the inward focus to, a, to an outward one. Uh, don't get stuck inside yourself. And where do I get that? Well, I get it from the last two verses of this psalm. It would seem to me curiously out of place. Unless this is what it means. You know, move on. Do good to Zion, verse 18. Do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And doesn't that seem out of place in the context of this psalm to you? It did to me. Up to now... Up to that verse 18, it's all been I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. Now, I was going over this yesterday. I counted up 32 I, me, my's in, uh, in the first 16 verses. Two each. 
And then all of a sudden we get to the end. It's about to wrap up. You know, it's the last few verses of the Psalms. And we're talking about Zion all of a sudden. Zion. Zion. Mountain of God. The walls of Jerusalem. When do we start talking about the walls of Jerusalem? <laughs> or, the, or acceptable sacrifices of the altar. And whatever you make of these things, it, it's, he's clearly turning from a period of self-examination, confession, repentance to the larger will of God in the world and what he and what he desires to be a part of. What was the desire of David's life? Build that temple, right? He didn't get to do it. His son did after him. So there's something. The idea here is there's something that comes after coming to the Lord in shame, confession, re- repentance. And I began, you know, last week I began by asking you, you know, to let yourself feel the weight of that sin. Because everything around you, everything in you and around you is kind of wants you, oh, no, 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 you don't have to go there, you don't have to go there. I said, let yourself feel the weight of the sin and shame, but listen, I think I have to end by saying, don't stay there too long either. Don't stay there too long either. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so... It's, you know, the Christian life is, is more than, you know, let's feel bad about ourselves. Let's look inward all the time. I think some of the monastics made that mistake. <laughs> it was all inside. No, t- turn out is also doing and serving, being part of the work of God. You know, the Christian life just isn't a lifelong exercise and, you know, navel-gazing. <laughs> It's not all inside. It's, it's turning out. So in the end, in the end, where do you get in this psalm? Yes, feel the weight of it. Yes, ask the Lord sincerely. Plead with Him. Ask Him for forgiveness, for cleansing, for restoration. Yes, make vows to the Lord and keep them. Yes, it's part of, it's part of the Christian life. But in the end... Uh, get past it, get over yourself, and be amazed what God can do, what he will do, through cracked pots like you and me. All right. Lord, uh, teach us to come to you when we've sinned, and not to hide. Uh, Make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit, so when he confronts us with our own sin, we, we know it, we sense it. Let us feel the weight of our sins so that we'll be truly amazed at the amazing grace of of yourself towards sinners. Teach us the language of confession and repentance, of seeking, receiving forgiveness, of cleansing, restoration. Increase the faith of every believing person in this place and let faith spring up in the open heart for their everlasting blessing, your everlasting joy, our uh, our everlasting joy, your everlasting glory. Uh, we pray in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.